0: Well, good morning. morning. How's everyone doing? Good? Good. Well, I am so privileged to be here with you this morning as we continue in our series Journey to Jerusalem. And in this series, we are traveling with Jesus to the cross and then ultimately to the empty grave. And this morning, I want to propose a scenario to all of us. And the scenario has to do with this button. It's a, it's a nice, shiny, red button. It's a great button. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that. I, I, was, uh, I was at the Central Theater Mall. I had just gone and seen a movie. It, it was late at night, and uh, I had my popcorn and my drink in my hand. When I go to the movies, I like to get the large, because then you get the refill, and you get to take a snack home. So that's what I was doing. I was walking out to my car and I I was shocked when I got to my car to see that my bumper and my side had been dented and the bumper was hanging on the parking lot. I was just going, my car. I didn't even notice the popcorn spilling out from my bucket. I was just going, no, my car. I looked at it for a little and I was just going, "I, I don't know. I don't know what else to do. So so I walked around to the driver's side and on the driver's side window, there was a note and I opened up the note and it said, hey, I saw the person who hit your car. I have a picture. Call me. And I was like, oh, I got you now. So I got home, got home. I, I called the police and a police officer came over and he came into my house, which that was an interesting experience. And I said, hey, here's what happened. And he, I showed him the note and he said, OK, let's go outside. Let's look at the car. And we went outside. We looked at the car and he was taking pictures of the damage. And he stood up after that, put his phone away and he, he shook my hand and he said, don't worry, Mr. Weissong, we'll bring him to justice. And I was like, you are speaking my language, officer, that that's what I wanted to hear. We, we all Resonate with this, but but here's a somber thought for us this morning, and it's this: we live in a messy world. Every single one of us has an awareness that the world around us is broken. We have an awareness that things are not right. We can turn on the news, we can scroll through Facebook or Twitter, and see that the world is messy. That things are not the way they ought to be, and, and of course. This brokenness around us has a name. We call it evil or we call it bad. And we all look at the, around the world and we go, why does evil exist? Why do bad things happen? My car wasn't doing anything to anyone. It was just parked in the parking lot and someone hit it. Why did that bad thing happen? Some of us, we, we can look at our lives and we can go, I'm a good person, but why are all these bad things happening to me? And we call for justice, for something to be done about all the bad around us. In fact, one of the biggest complaints against God is that if God is so powerful, if He's all powerful, why doesn't He just do something with evil? Why doesn't He just get rid of the bad? Just make it all go away. We all have a sense of the mess that we live in. And so this morning I, I have this button in our scenario. And what makes this button interesting is that this button comes with a label and the label I put on is the UBBR or this is the ultimate button of bad removal. And so here's the scenario. Uh, let's say that you and I were standing toe to toe and I I hold this button out to you and I said, Hey, if you could, if you could, would you push this button and remove every bad thing from the world right now? The old, if you could, would you game? Here's my assumption. Is that most of us, first of all, we look at the button we go, this is a gag. It's not real. But then you see the label, the ultimate button of bad removal. I mean, think about it. All the genocides, all the wars, all the rumors of war, all the injustices of the world eliminated. All the bad people that do bad things, they're gone. They're They're no more. No more downing Debbies or negative Nates. No more civil disputes or domestic violence. All the natural disasters that cause massive destructions. No more Tornado Alley for us in Kansas. It's all eliminated. All the bad removed for good. And you'd probably look at that button and you would start thinking, yeah, I would want the power to do that. And then you'd start reaching for... The button, And that's when I pulled the button back a little and then asked you this question. Okay, hey, before you push this button, have you ever done anything bad? And then the truth hits us, right? We've all done something bad. Here's an even more somber thought for us this morning. Because we live in a messy world, we all have messy lives. So here's the reality of that realization. If you were to hit this button that ultimately removes all the bad, you'd be pushing a button that would remove you. But then it goes a little deeper than that, doesn't it? Because then we start thinking, well, my parents or your kids, they've done bad. Your spouse, our friends, our coworkers, they've all done bad. And so the truth hits us even harder. Ultimately, if we were to push this button, not only would we, would we be removing ourselves, but we would be removing those that we know and we care about. All gone with the push of a button. Knowing that, would you push this button? If you could, would you? No. Well, Why not? Because despite the bad around you, now you've found good reason not to push the button. You have people you care about that you don't want to see removed. You have a reason now for not pushing the button. And if you have good reason not to push the button, not to do away with everything bad, is it possible that God has a reason as well? That despite the brokenness of the world, despite all the bad that happens, is it possible that God has a good reason for not pushing the the button, Because I've got to be honest with you guys. This isn't a real button. This is the ceramic top to a glass jar I found at Goodwill. But this button is a very real thing for God. And as a Christian, I believe, and you believe, even if you've never really thought about it this way, that the reason God doesn't push this button is because of you, and me. He loves us too much. And so if God doesn't push the button, what does he do? Well, in John chapter 13, on our journey to Jerusalem, instead of pushing the button, Jesus washes the disciples feet. And then by understanding Jesus's why for doing this, we can be sure of this thing. We can be sure that Jesus enters our mess to cleanse us, not condemn us. Listen to John 13. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that His hour had come to leave this world and return to His Father. He had loved His disciples during His ministry on earth, and now He loved them to the very end. Jesus knew that the Father had given Him authority over everything, and that He had come from God and would return to God. Have you ever been asked the question, If you could know when you were going to die, would you want to know? It's kind of a morbid icebreaker question, isn't it? Hey, if you could know when you are going to die, would you... Hey, I'm Stephen, by the way. Personally, I don't think I would want to live with that knowledge. I wouldn't want to know when my expiration date was. But that's something that Jesus, he can't escape that knowledge. It's the Passover celebration. Passover, it's the remembrance of what God did for the Israelites in Egypt. It's something that Jesus would have traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate many times before. But there's something different about this time. This time, instead of remembering the feet of God freeing the people from Egypt, Jesus would be recreating the event. But instead of lamb's blood painted over wooden doorposts, His blood would paint the wooden cross. And instead of freeing the Israelites from their slavery to Egyptians, Jesus would be freeing all people from the death sentence earned because of sin. In short, I put in my notes this week, in short, God's rescue plan... For humanity was not our removal, but our redemption. And Jesus is our rescuer. And that night as He's sitting there for dinner, that's what's going through His mind. That's what Jesus knows. But, uh, but I got to thinking this week. I got, I got chills as I was uh, reading these verses, uh, mainly because of how Jesus feels towards the disciples. As they gather around for dinner, Jesus looks around at them and He doesn't go, Man, what a bunch of sinners. What a bunch of mess-ups. You guys, you have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea what I'm doing for you. You still don't get who I am. Well, where's my button? I'm just going to push. The button. I'm just. That's not what He does. He looks around at His disciples at dinner and He's reminded for how He feels towards them. For how much He loves them. He loves His Disciples. And maybe for someone here this morning, that's a word for you. Maybe you need to know that when Jesus looks at you, He doesn't feel like giving up on you. Giving up on you isn't in His nature. When Jesus looks at you, He loves you. And there's nothing that we've done to earn that love. There's nothing we've done to deserve that love. But, but get this, I wrote this down in my notes. There's no expiration date on the love that Jesus has for you we should have had the button pushed for the messiness of our lives and our world but instead jesus picks up a basin full of water and takes it over to his disciples so he got up from the table took off his robe wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin then he began to wash the disciples feet drying them with the towel he had around him i probably shouldn't tell you guys this next part but but i will uh I know that it, when I say what I'm going to say, there might be someone after the service that they're going to come up and say this to me, or there might be someone throughout the week that they'll come up and say this. They'll probably come up and go, hey, let me see your feet. But part of being up here on stage is being vulnerable. And uh, so I'll be, I'll be vulnerable with you a little. Uh, and here, here it is. I don't like having my feet touched. It weirds me out. It tickles. It makes me jump. I don't like it. Now you know. So, so with that in mind, with that in mind, I spent a summer during my junior year of college at a camp in Santa Cruz, California called Ponderosa Lodge. A friend from the church that I was attending went to the camp with me. We worked together. And so a week before camp started, we got in the car. We drove down for a week of training at camp. We got through the training, and in the last training session, the director of the camp, his name is Charlie. He stood up and he really trying to like set the mood. He goes, "Okay, hey, we're done with our training, but tonight, tonight, we're gonna we're gonna do something to really get ourselves centered for what's gonna happen in the summer because we want to get you guys ready to serve. And so tonight, what, what the leaders, are, what we're gonna do is we're gonna follow in the footsteps of Jesus by having a foot washing." And so for me, I was sitting there, I was okay with everything else he said. But when he said that last part, I turned to my friend and I said, hey, I, I don't want to go. I don't, I don't want them to touch my feet. Can you just tell everyone I'm sick? And my friend turned to me and said, oh, that would be great. Way to start the summer by lying to your bosses and ruining the night for everyone. So I went to the chapel that night. I couldn't even focus on the worship and the little devotion because I was just dreading the moment when the director of the camp finally stood up and said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to split you up into groups of seven. We're going to have you go out and we're going to sacrifice for you and wash your feet as an example of the service that you're going to be giving campers this summer. And as he was saying that, I was sitting there and in my mind, I was going, yeah, you people have no idea the sacrifice I'm making to let you make your sacrifice. And they lined us up in groups and I felt like we were being marched out to a firing squad of feet ticklers. And uh, when it was was my group's turn to go outside, they led us to chairs that had basins of water beneath them. And the camp director's assistant name is Kelsey. She bent down by my feet and she started to remove my shoes which was really awkward and I was trying to be like smooth and calm and collected but I think I was cringing the whole time and then she got my shoes off and she put my feet in the water and she began to wash them and dry them and I was just sitting there going please don't laugh please don't jump please don't and then she released me and I don't ever really I don't ever want to be a participant in a foot washing again so, so, so I really don't understand the non-reaction of the other disciples when Jesus starts washing their feet. Come on, they're at dinner. They're, they're getting ready to eat and Jesus stands up, puts a towel around his waist, and just goes over, gets a basin of water, and just picks their feet up and starts washing them. No one says anything. No one does it. The Bible doesn't say, and Thomas didn't like it because he was really ticklish. They don't They don't do anything. But I gotta imagine that that as they're watching Jesus doing, in their minds, they're probably thinking, and they're probably have a look that like deer in headlights. They're probably thinking, though, is this really happening? Okay, this is this is Jesus is doing. It. Okay, I'll just go with it. Just go with it. It'll be it'll be okay. But then Jesus gets to Peter. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, "Lord, are you going to wash my feet?" Jesus replied, "You don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday, you will." Back in these days, they didn't have the luxury of enclosed shoes and convenient modes of transportation. The disciples and Jesus, they had their sandals and their feet to carry them where they wanted to go. And in first century Palestine, the roads would have been dirty and dusty and littered with the droppings of whatever animals had gone before them. The job was was considered to be so dirty that it was saved for the lowliest of servants. It was tradition to come in and have your feet washed before dinner to get off all the dirt. And I read in a commentary this week that the Hebrew servants, they didn't like doing it. So usually this job was saved for Gentiles. Or it was just, just considered that low of a job. It would have been proper for the disciples to have washed Jesus' feet, but instead Jesus begins to wash theirs. And it's like walking into the bathroom at, at your office and you see the CEO scrubbing the toilet instead of the janitor. It just doesn't happen. Yet Jesus does the unthinkable. He gets down and humbly begins to wash the feet of those that should have been washing his. It was an act that would have astounded them. And Peter lets us know it did. He goes, are you going to wash my feet and do what the lowliest of servants are assigned to do? And Jesus says, listen, you're not going to get it right now. I know this this doesn't make sense right now, but it will change the way you see everything later. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever, oh, I love never, ever, pay attention, never, ever wash my feet. I wonder, is it possible for us to look at our mess, for us to look at our lives and the bad things that we've done and think, I'm too dirty for Jesus. Jesus, he, he can't fix this. My mess, it's beneath Him. That's what Peter was thinking. He was looking at His feet and He's looking at the basin. He's looking at the dirt on His feet. He's looking at the basin. He's looking at Jesus and He's going, Jesus, I, I'm too dirty my dirtiness, is, it's beneath you. I can't believe that you would actually want to touch the dirtiest part of me. And so because I can't perceive it, because I can't understand it, I won't allow it. Never ever, Jesus. You know, it's so it's possible to become so fixated on the mess of our lives that we don't fixate on the depth of Christ's grace and forgiveness towards us. And it's easy for us to forget that the The fact that we are the apple of Jesus' eye. Jesus has feelings for you. And it's not a chore for Him to wash the dirtiest parts of our lives. If it were, then He wouldn't bother. If it were, He'd push this button. In in my notes, I just wrote down, your mess is not Jesus' chore. Cleaning up your mess to make you new is Jesus' top priority. Because he loves you. And he doesn't want to see you broken. He wants to see you cleansed. So Jesus replied, Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. I love this response from Peter. Because here he is. He's a fisherman. He's not elegant with his words. He's not sophisticated in etiquette. He's... A fisherman. He's pulled huge nets for a living. He's used to being swayed by the sea, not traveling the countryside. He's used to just operating in the current of the cultural system, trying to make a living. He's not much of a risk taker or an adventurer. In fact, before Jesus happened along in his life, Peter probably probably would have never traveled more than thirty miles outside his hometown in Galilee. And so I think what Peter is saying is he's going, you know what, Jesus, I don't get it. I don't get it. But I know enough about you that I know I can't live without you. So wash all of me. Remember, he, was, he, was, he said, never, ever. You can never. And Jesus goes, unless I do this, you have no part in me. And Peter's going, then wash all of me. Just, just, just take the basin. Don't just wash my feet. Wash all of me. Hey, here's a great truth I'm learning in my life. We all need something we can't live without. We all need something worth living for. Finding something worth living for is what actually makes life worth living. And for many of us, we live for three Ps. Many of us, we live for possession or profession or people. And we'll, we'll go, well, if I, if I, when I just, When I just get enough stuff, then I'll start living. When I just make enough, then I'll start living. When people just approve and respect and accept me enough, then I'll start living. And for Peter, he is staring into the basin and he's staring into the eyes of who would be his Savior. And he knew he'd found his something, the thing that he couldn't live without. And I I call this the fourth P. And that's a person, and his name is Jesus. Jesus makes, Jesus is what makes life worth living because he gives us a love and a grace that we can't live without. Those other Ps, they aren't bad things, but when the good things of our world become the best things in your life, you better watch out. You better watch out because your heart's going to move away from Jesus. And for Peter, having been able to be with Jesus and having to have one of the best moments in life experiences forever, he he discovered something that every single one of us wants most in life. He found a purpose and a purpose worth spending the rest of his life living for. And so for Peter, as he sat over the basin, he realized that he couldn't live without Jesus. And so he says, Jesus, wash all of me. What a great moment. And so instead of pushing the button of ultimate bad removal, Jesus brings over a basin to wash His disciples' feet. Which of course held greater significance than just washing their feet. Jesus was pointing the disciples towards the cross where He would be washing away all the sins of the world through His death. It's the ultimate cleansing to remove our mess, to give us something that I believe we can't live without, and that's life. In Christ. Uh, One of my favorite shows to watch on TV is The Voice. I love The Voice because of the blind audition phase. And what happens is there's four judges and they sit in these big red chairs and their backs are turned to the stage. And a contestant comes out and does his or her thing. And if a judge likes what they hear, they have a red button that they push. And when they push the red button, the chair turns around and a neon light lights up at the bottom of the chair that says, I want you. And so what's so cool about it is without ever seeing the contestant, looks are canceled out, likability, fashion style, none of that matters. The judge selects the person to be on their team based solely on their voice. Sometimes it's really cool when all four chairs turn and the judges fight over the contestant. That's really intense to watch. The saddest part about the show, though, is that when no chair turns, nobody's choosing That person. No lights are shining. The message is very clear in those moments. Nobody wants you. And they show the family backstage booing the judges. They show the contestants crying. This is the biggest dream of my life. And everyone's really sad because nobody wanted them. I guess the realization for me is that most of us go through our lives like these contestants go through the blind auditions. Waiting on someone to hit a button auditioning our hearts out for acceptance and approval. Now, now it's different for every person. The people that we put in the judges' seat, the people that we give buttons to, it's different for every person. And maybe some of you in this room, there's people in your mind that you can think about, that you've given them a judgment seat in your heart, that your happiness, your joy, your approval is based on their opinion. But the silliest thing about this is that none of the people that we place in the judges' chairs None of them actually have a button to push. What's even worse is the only one who's sitting in the only chair that really counts has already turned around. The only one who has the power to give us true approval has offered it to us completely free. Before we ever even had to audition to be on Team Jesus, before we ever even had to step out on the stage, Jesus' chair was turned around and the light was on that says, I want you. I want you. Mess and all. I want you. Jesus wants you. And so because of the journey that Jesus took to Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and because Jesus took a bloodstained cross and turned it into an empty grave, the ultimate button of bad removal can be given a new label. And the new label, I called it the UBLCDB. It is the ultimate button of life in Christ, despite The bad. And so I want to propose another scenario to us this morning. Let's say that we're standing toe to toe, and I hold out this button, the relabeled button, and I say, If you could, would you push this button? If you could, would you push a button that activates a grace so good it cleanses your mess? If you could, would you push a button that gives you a life worth living and gives you someone you can't live without? If you could, Would you push that button? I know for me, I'm going to push it. Let me pray. Well, Jesus, the significance of this story is amazing. The fact that even in a world of bad, God, you found something, a reason to not push a button to remove it. And instead, you've sent Jesus to save us, to cleanse us, to rescue us. God, I thank you for the, the power of this story, the significance that it holds, that the washing of the feet really symbolized the washing of the sins on the cross. God, I thank you for Peter, that he's so relatable to us. And that he realized, I, I can't live without you, Jesus. And Jesus, as we, as we look at the cross, as we get ready for Easter, as we're taking this journey to Jerusalem, may we come to that same realization that your grace and your love are something worth living for. And your grace and your love are something we can't live without because there is life in you despite the bad around us. And that's a good thing. So thank you, Jesus, for all you do. Bless us as we go and in your awesome, awesome name. Amen.